Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another Dear Doc Podcast episode. Now, Recently, I decided that I wanted to, to kind of showcase some of the different business management strategies or business modalities that dentists use. And so I've been getting some really great people together who use different types of management systems in their practices uh, to, to kind of talk to us about the good, the bad, and the ugly of those different types of systems. So Today, uh, we've got somebody here from MB2. For those of you who don't know, I recently sold all the headaches that I own to MB2. I just get to keep practicing dentist, and I, dentistry, and I own 30% of my practice. It's amazing. So I'm a little bit biased on these guys. They're a pretty amazing group of people. And uh, let's face it, they've got some of the coolest collectibles around. So Gabe, I, I see you've, you've got Thanos riding your shoulder over there. Is that to, to make sure I don't ask any really, really you know, like troubling questions or anything? Are you going to sick him on me? I mean, I guess, I guess, snap the fingers or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't snap. Don't snap. That's right. So, Gabe, introduce yourself. Uh, thank you very much for having me uh, on this, Chris. Uh, my name is Gabe Shuan. I'm with MB2 Dental. Um, I have been here, I guess, since 2007. I graduated um, from Houston in 2007. Um, and then I moved back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and that's kind of where I started back with the company. Fantastic. And, you know, so it's kind of interesting to me. You, you've gone kind of through, a, I think, probably almost every business model that we're going to discuss, at least in a broad sense. Um, did you do private practice, or did you just automatically start off with a small group? How did, well, how did that come, out, come about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I started with the private practice model, right? So I, I went for two years through dental school um, to, a, to a doctor that I grew up going to. Um, and I went into, and visited with him, I think, 20 times. I had a, a buyout agreement. So for five years, I was going to buy his practice. Gotcha. And my goal was just like everybody else is, is go through, um, buy a practice, work your practice. And, um, and that was really the plan. Uh, it, it turns out I lasted about three weeks there because at the same time I was doing that, I was working Saturday with what was MB2 Dental. Back then right. it was three practices. Um, and I was as busy and I, I saw a lot of things that I liked in the company, the MB2 Dental, as opposed to the gotcha. private practice, um, just because I felt like I was my own doc. Um, I got to do what I wanted to do and there's no owner doctor there with me. Right. So you... You started off private practice. You lasted a couple of weeks there. You went over to MB2, which at the time was really a small group practice. Um, it was a, a multi-location small group. And, right. you know, I know some things happened down the line. I'd like to get into that, that you, you kind of had a stark realization one day that you weren't really just a small group anymore. You were a DSO. Uh, but I want to hear something about some of those early days, some of the uh, the struggles as you're building up. You started with three practices there. And so I'm guessing Mauricio um, was the the initial guy who owned the three practices or was was uh, was Dr. V there? How did all this work out? Yeah, so it, Mauricio was a classmate of mine. And okay. so we actually, we started at the same time. And Dr. V had just bought three practices with a partner. 
And so gotcha. he owned, he, he owned the three, Dr. V worked one, I worked another, Mauricio Dardano worked the third practice. And so we each kind of were connected in that we all worked together, but Dr. Right. V had owned that. And it wasn't until about a year where I decided, um, I was, Mauricio was kind of doing the same thing, but I, I decided that I was going to branch off and open my own practice. And that's right. whenever the partnership uh, was offered to me as to help grow the company, right? Well, and you, um, and you knew that they already had the systems that would work well in a practice, so you weren't going to have to reinvent the wheel, which I think is really no, brilliant. You know, not not exactly. At that time, it was really just two guys that owned three practices, um, and and through I guess it, it was almost it was a leap of faith. It was right. us. Uh, I saw that these practices were successful. And I believed if I surrounded myself with successful people, then I myself would become successful. And so it was, uh, as I reopened partnerships through, uh, I opened from 2009 to 2011, I opened five practices with them. Mauricio Dardano did the same thing. Right. Um, and so we, as we grew that, we centralized services. So instead of each one of us, and it was two people, one doing HR and one doing finance and those family members. Right. Um, and they were in B2, which was a centralized service to help us run our practices. And, and that was actually literally the moment you technically became a DSO, right? Because centralization right. Of, of services is like the card. And I think there's a lot of group practices out there right now that do the same thing and they have no idea they're actually DSOs and they're breaking all sorts of rules or going to get in trouble for if they have one person who gets pissed off at him. And I think and that's I would, a really would, great segue to go well, ahead. Before we, we segue, I, I would say um, we got to 40 practices and it was in 2012 that we sat around arguing if we were DSO or not, because right. we saw ourselves as just 40 practices in different exactly. partnerships that we were all together. But the state of Texas at that time defined us as if you have more than one practice, with similar systems, you are technically a DSO. So we realized- Oh, just, just similar, long. not even centralized. I didn't realize it was that broad. Yeah. It's, yeah that's, it's, it's, that's, it's there's even more people out there who are gonna probably not like to hear this than, than I thought. But, um, I, but you guys went through this process. I think that that's, um, that's really something that for a lot of our, our, our listeners, a lot of our members for the business of dentistry, which you, you are a member of as well and, and a contributing member, mm -hmm. um, I think it's something they probably don't know. And I think you can probably keep some people out of some hot water. So Gabe, yeah. tell me your story. I, I mean, I've, I've, okay. I've heard it before. Yeah. And I know it's kind of weird telling me again because we've talked about it a lot, but I think that this is genuinely something that you could tell people that is going to help a ton of people out there. Yeah. Sounds good. So, and, and I appreciate um, you doing that by the way, because I know it's dredging up old crap like this is not the most fun thing in the world, but I, I think you're being very generous to do it. And so kind of to take us back, um, we got to a certain size where, um, or anytime you hear our name pop up anywhere on forums or, or anything, there's always people who will go out there and who will post, hey, did you see the story, right? And the right. story is a link to a settlement that we had back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And so the beginnings of it is started um, probably, so we, as we we're growing our company, we got to about 20 practices. 20 to 30 practices. And in 2012, we had an angry employee, right? Um, we had somebody who alleged some stuff in one of our practices. And so 
it took us from 2012 to 2017. So I guess it was about four years um, to kind of, to even find out what was going on. But we just knew that people, the government was looking into us because we took Medicaid. Right. And it was about two, three years in that we found out what they were alleging. And so what happened initially is with our our 30 practices, um, we had, every email turned over, every bank account turned over, every employee roster, what we paid everyone, and all of our practices, it was all turned over to the government because somebody in a practice alleged something. And if you don't know what that means, um, if you have an angry person in your practice, front desk, back desk, what's our RDAs, whatever it is, if they allege something and if you have to pay something, they get a quarter of the money. Well, and and you don't even really have any kind of burden of proof at that point. All they have to do is make an accusation. And that's kind of frightening to me. You know, frankly, it's one of the reasons I've never taken Medicaid. I I think you guys who do Medicaid, frankly, I think you're juggling flaming chainsaws, but um, I think it's a very noble thing to do. I'm just not that noble of a person whenever it comes to my hide, because there's just so much that can go wrong. And so you've got this one person who's pissed at you. And, and go ahead, tell us a little bit about what happened. So uh, the alleged accusations, which again, we found out in 2017 what actually was said, but was essentially that whenever, part of it was that we didn't credential all of our doctors properly. And so what that right. means is um, back when we were smaller, um, it took about a month for Team HP to credential a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so during that month, we as a group would allow the doctors, associates to mm-hmm. work under our license as a substitute physician. And Which I would like to point out, that used to be a legitimate thing. Absolutely mm-hmm. legitimate and common practice. And that, that's one of the problems with whenever we change laws, I didn't get the memo, you know? Right. So I'm guessing you guys didn't get the memo whenever they changed this. Or are there still special circumstances where you yeah. can't? No, nobody did. I mean, I think it's, it's true for insurance is just the same, but it's specifically right. in Medicaid. It said that you can have, uh, we, we have a legal opinion that mm-hmm. said from, from well-known firm that said that you can do it because there's a substitute physician uh, provider. Right. So as long as there's a senior doctor or an owner who's credentialed in there. Right. So there are doctor. circumstances under which you can do it but there are circumstances under which you can't. And so there was just enough shade there where they had something that they went in and they investigated. Correct. So, and so, yes. And I, and I would say um, a lot of it is because we became a certain size and we mm-hmm. didn't quite realize that was going to be even an issue because again, right. we thought we were uh, in the grays and the whites. We thought we were completely on the white, but it turns out that if you, follow it to the T, you can't, you can't see, you can't allow it. Our doctor cannot see, um, even if they're a temp coming into your office, they can't see the patients under your license, if that will, if you you will. Um, Interesting. Especially for Medicaid. And so that was kind of what kicked it all off. Um, And they went through a lot of years and over the years, it was costing us as as a company about a million dollars a year just to defend through lawyers. We didn't know what we were defending. And so we went through all of that and it came I, to a point. Oh, dude, I can't even imagine, because okay, as a private practice guy, um, it, it, before I became a partner in MB2, and that was this past Friday, guys. Um, I'm sorry, Friday before last. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I can't even imagine having to deal with this. I would have gone out of business. I mean, yeah. I, I just, 
you told happening. me you guys spent how much? Like four or five well, million dollars? At that time, it was about a million years. So I guess over the four years, four million dollars or so. And um, I get you're right. really pissed off when I have a $5,000 lawyer bill, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's terrible. It's terrible. And that so we a, had wow. each other to follow, like we were going in it together, right? We had all these offices instead of shrinking back, <laughs> like a lot of groups would do, or a lot of uh, individual practices shut down. We actually right. grew a lot during those, those years where we went from the first 30 practices to about 60 or 70 practices during that time while we were dealing with this, but we can only do it because we had each other, right? Because yeah. we, felt like we did nothing wrong. We, we had each other to lean on. And so we went through it um, and got through it together. And so it came a point where after fighting back on every allegation and showing everything, um, it was a simple math problem, right? Right. Um, it came down to, they, they, they told us. Or they How told much more money do you guys want to hemorrhage? What do you, what do you think? I can't even imagine that conversation, you know? It was very simple, actually. It was, they had our bank accounts, they had everything, they had all the numbers, right? Right. And so they said, either we can go through this, we can fight it for years, it's going to take years and we could potentially win, but it's still going to cost a lot, or right. we just settle. And so they knew that between all of us, <coughs> we could afford to pay the settlement, the, it right. was a payback, there's, there's, no, we, there's no acceptance of any wrongdoing because we didn't actually go plead our case or anything. It was just, we could pay $8 million between, I think there was five of us at that time. Um, and then it's all dismissed. And so that's you what know, we decided to, I, to do. I think a lot of times as businessmen, as Dennis in particular, but as businessmen, uh, we, we try to appeal to the, um, to the morality of an issue rather than the finance of an issue. And I mean, you guys could have gone bankrupt and proved that you were right and said, hey, look, you know, we've got this pre-existing legal opinion that says we can do this, and we're just doing everything within the writ of the law, or you could just pay them blood money to get them to stop hassling you. <clears throat> and it, it, it just, it pisses me off that that's the way the world is now, that, you know, it, it's, to, you, you, could, you could ruin yourself just trying to prove that you're right, and it's still gonna take up all your money, you know, and you're still gonna have, you know, these allegations that haunt you no matter what you do, because that's what people are going to find whenever they search, you know, that's, and it's, okay. I mean, I, and it's understandable. And I know like whenever it first came out back in 2017, there was a little thread on dental buddies, another group. And right. so as soon as that started, um, I had at that time, 2017, about 30 <laughs> and they all started texting me and they started saying, fight back. We need like, there was a lot of our owners. People don't know that they're part of MB2 dental because they're all branded different. And so right. MB2 dental, I mean, it legit, it, it stands for Mesia Buckle too. The canal you can never find, right? Like it's, right. it's, it was made for dentists, but people are all branded different and their, their offices are the identity of the owner. And so a lot of our, um, class are a lot of our, a lot of our owners are, were at that time from Baylor and they saw right. their classmates all talking bad about the company. And so they had me kind of respond to it and, um, you know, responding to it once is, is okay. Um, but then over and over and over, it's just, it's a talking point. And for me, I'm actually, I'm glad it happened to us. I'm glad that it, it's a part of our history. Right. And it makes us who we are today, right? Going through that is part of us. It, it really, I, it really changed 
a lot in the way that you approach the business. I, I know how very, very careful you guys are because, you know, you had to vet me for yeah. me to join you as a partner. Um, <clears throat> and I also want to say that I think it's, I think it's kind of noble. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there was a way that you could have jettisoned anyone who had any kind of um, involvement and could have said, okay, well, those guys are no longer MB2. You guys go and swim in the sharks yourselves. And that's not what you did. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of nobility in that. Um, and and it, it, it actually brings to a very fine point one of the things that I was gonna, I was gonna say, which is that the only reason you could get through this kind of uh, an upheaval in your business is because you did have each other and because you were a group and you, you, you stuck together and you had that strength of, I mean, good God, you guys grew yeah. to almost twice your size during yeah. this, this period, right? It was so <clears throat> it's, it's just, it's amazing to me. You know, the, the old saying, you can't fight a war on two fronts, right? But you guys in a very real sense, you were. Yeah. So now you, you said something really interesting to me. I, I heard a story about it and I'd like you to, to tell us a little bit about it. Um, you talked about the name MB2 uh, being the elusive canal that you can never find. And I am in my discussions with other people, I, I tell them, I think they're, they're DSO 3.0. And whenever I say that, what, what I'm meaning and what I explain to them is that initially DSOs really, they were almost at war or at competition with the dentist that they hired themselves. Um, and they were in competition with private practice and they were in competition with other DSOs. It was a very red ocean type of a thing. And if you guys can't see the book in the background, I'm reading the blue ocean strategy again. Uh, I read it once and um, I, I've actually heard some things with MV2 story that really, it inspired me to read the book again because it, it just resonated so much with the message there. Gabe, tell us a little bit about why you built MV2 the way it is now. Tell us a little bit about the company as it currently stands after all this stuff happened and talk to me about, the benefits of DSO or DSO 3.0, as I like to call it, versus the other DSO models versus private practice, partnership and group practice. And now I'm just going to kind of give you the floor and try to shut up for a while. All right. All right. Well, um, we see, it, you know, whenever we, we built this company, we didn't have any, we didn't look at another DSO and say, hey, we're going to create a DSO. We were really just dentists partnering together to compete with DSOs. We, like everybody else, thought that um, you know, they, they wouldn't have a place in dentistry. We were trying to fight it. So we thought if we partner together, we can get things for cheaper. We can get reimbursed more and we're going to get economies to scale through just centralizing our services. Right. Which so is just really smart. Run, yeah. Just to, to be able to run our practices for us. So since the beginning, whenever we, I was opening those practices, I've never, I mean, a lot of the, re, a lot of the reasons why I don't, necessarily on forums respond much or we don't have the answers is because we've never had to deal with a lot of what private practitioners have to deal with right. meaning um i i've never had to pay a bill for my office before i we have adp but i've never logged into adp to pay staff i i don't have the normal headaches i don't have to figure out how to get the best or the supplies <coughs> because as a group we've already decreased those for us so a lot of the things that individual practitioners have to figure out that they, they go to join masterminds to try to figure those things out. I've never had to deal with because it's always done for me. And so whenever we were smaller, we, we had call it one, one person centrally per office, 
practice that we have. And so um, whenever we have 15 practices, there are 15 people centrally doing these, all the different things for us on the back end where we um, as dentist owners could focus on the patient experience as well as the doctors and the associates that are working in our practices. And right. so at 40 practices, we have about 40. And now we have about, uh, fast forward all these years, there's about 200 people centrally helping us for about 200 practices. Gabe, you said something there, and I am going to interrupt you for a moment because it, it, I think it's a very important point you're glossing over here. Um, whenever I began talking to you guys, and actually this all began because I, I wanted to interview you guys about, you know, what you do and this and that and the other. And, you know, so I really started liking your model and exploring it and asking some more questions. Probably way too many questions. I'm sorry about that. But so you just said something about um, concentrating on the patient experience and on the dentist associates who are working in our practice. One of the things you asked me whenever I said, you know, guys, I'd like to grow my practice. I'd like to bring in an associate. You said, will you mentor them? And that was huge for me. I think that may have been the moment that I decided to go with you guys is because it was important enough to you to ask me if I was willing to teach that dentist and willing to make sure they were successful. That's, yeah. that's huge because that's how I feel about my practice and you feel that way about my practice, which really floored me, frankly. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because I really wanted to say something about that. It gave me an opportunity to. So my, my apologies. You guys are at okay. 200 offices now, right? Well, I mean, so, yeah, so we've, we've grown over time and back and uh, throughout the process and throughout it, what, as we were growing, we just took our own money and we reinvested it. We could never get loans for anything. So we, right. um, as, as, as dentists, because <laughs> even though at, in 2017, we had gotten to 85 practices, we had about 100 million in revenue at that time between the different practices and the different partnerships. And I think we had about two or $3 million in, in debt and it was just equipment debt. So our governor for our growth was always, um, as you make money, you reinvest it into dentistry and that's how fast and how we were able to grow um, on our own. And then in 2017 is whenever we decided that the market had shifted and changed in the, in the DSO landscape, in the private equity marketplace. And so we, at that time, decided to go through a process and bring private equity into our group. And so right. that was, we had 36 doctor owners, 85 practices in 2017. We went through the process and we were able to get a, a very high valuation for our equity. And so what that means is where an individual practice, whenever you sell from doctor to doctor, or if you sell, to a DSO like Heartland or, or any large DSO, you're gonna get, call it 60 to 120% of revenue. And so for us, we were able to sell part of our equity at um, 300 to 350% of revenue. And so the value was just there where we were able to take chips off the table and then take that money and then keep going um, at a faster pace. Um, right. So looking at today, we just, I think Glenvoe was our 200th office last Friday. Um, we have 120 doctor owners, um, and we're still growing. Um, last year, we actually added 85 practices, which is as many as we've got in 10 years on our own. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at, at today right now. We're looking for the right doctors to partner with. That's pretty awesome. Well, Gabe, you guys have certainly grown something that's unique. And um, 
and it is definitely its own form of business model. I think everyone recognizes the DSO mm -hmm. as a business model in dentistry. They recognize group practice. They recognize solo practitioners. But what I think I've recognized in my conversations with so many people, so many dentist owners, is that there's actually a continuity where it's a continuum from private practice all the way to DSO. And it's really the natural evolution because as you reach your absolute maximum potential in one, you have to naturally move over into the next zone so that you can grow and, and continue your growth. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you, you have to either settle for a specific amount because let's face it, my hands aren't scalable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can only do so much as a single doctor. I have to bring in an associate to add to that production. And whenever you're maxed out on the amount of production that the number of hands you can, you can have, you have can do, you have to start turning dials instead of throwing levers. You know, you're, you're not making big changes anymore by adding another pro producer. You're saying, can I chip off on my HR fees? Can I, can I turn this dial over here and, and spend a little bit less on, on supplies or services? And right. that's where the DSO really shines is that you guys have these economies of scales that you've generated through the use of all of these different practices. You have a lot of negotiating power. So speak to me a little bit about that continuity and, yeah. and, 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 when, and where you guys are now and what you feel you've learned going forward from really through the entire scheme of continuity what, what yeah. have you learned? So we coined the term DPO at, at one point, and that was because we didn't like the fact that we were DSO, right? Like right. Um, we saw ourselves more like a co-op. And so um, it was where doctors can join. Um, instead of selling or partnering with another dentist, you can partner with MB2 Dental, um, where we as a partnership can, can grow your practice, right? Or help you achieve what your goals are. And so a lot of times whenever I talk to doctors, um, whenever I, I, I say, like, what are your goals? They're like, well, I, I don't know. What, what should my goals be? I'm like, I, I don't know. The, everyone has their own goals and what they want to do. And so we, um, we have the, the economies of scale of a, of a DSO. We have um, structure where we have operational help for practices like a DSO. But at the same time, we allow our doctor partners the autonomy of a solo practitioner, right? So whether it's their name still on the door, the staff still goes to them. Doctors choose if they want to um, or how they want to pay their staff, right? Which is, uh, I get questions from a lot of doctors I talk with who talk to the folks who are like, well, can I, what color polo or scrubs do I need to wear or polos do I have to wear or, or what's the name going to be on the door or is Susie going to get X, Y, Z? it's not up to us. It's up to the doctor owner on how they treat their office and how they treat their staff um, and what they do, but you get information and objective information from MB2. So we have a whole operations team helping you run your practice and you will know if you're overstaffed, if you're understaffed, if you're production per patient, all the KPIs and the metrics that most DSOs have through data, you'll be told what those are. And if you're overpaying for stuff, and you're happy overpaying for stuff, it's your choice. Right. Because you have equity in the practice and you're running your practice, but you just have the back and support and this help centrally. I, 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 have, I have to say, because <clears throat> that was um, such a pleasant surprise to me. Uh, you guys came in and you have this wonderful lady named Maria and um, she pulls out my handbook 
and she pulls out your suggested best practice. She says, hey, you're better over here. You give your people more time off than we, we recommend. We're going to keep that. That's awesome. And I was like, what? <laughs> she said, um, Dr. Huffpower, you're a little bit understaffed. We feel your front desk may be working too hard. I think we need to add another person there. And just like down the list, it was, um, it was really cool because it wasn't any like, you, you almost expect the, the theme song. And I'm going to pick on you for being a little, bit of a, a little bit of a geek like I am. You've got this stuff in the background. I, I, told, I told Gabe, I said, man, you've got you've to show this stuff in the background. People are going to love it. But you, you almost expect like the Imperial uh, Death March, you know, whenever the, the, the DSO is coming into your practice. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like that at all. It was just such an amazing experience. Um, you guys treated my team well. I had, in full disclosure, I had one team member leave, but it was for a different reason. They, um, they decided it was time for them to have babies. And she mm. said, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of changes going on and doc. I just, I want to leave and go and have babies. And I said, okay, cool. But you know, it's great. Do you know what Maria did whenever she got in the first day? She said, well, where's Anna? I said, well, you remember I told you she had some concerns and she was thinking about, you know, leaving to, to go and start a family. And she said, well, can you get me her address? It was so nice to meet her. I just, I just wanted to write her a little something and tell her congratulations on starting this new phase in life. And I'm like, who does these things? Just yeah. really genuine, honest to goodness, good people. That's who. And so, um, That's guys, funny. I'm a little biased. I may have mentioned, but I love these guys. They're they're fantastic, and they're they're making my practice run like a freaking machine, which is awesome. Appreciate that. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, Gabe's all like, oh. <laughs> anyway, I'm just part of I'm part of the I'm part of the machine, right? I've I've been here long. Just a cog in the machine, Gabe. Cog in the machine, and <laughs> people ask me like, what my my title is or what do you do? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm a dentist who is part okay. of the too, And that's really what it comes down to. I, I do know that your title is not donk now. I know no, that. It's not, it's that's a different person. That's a different person. Donk. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about these really cool things you've got going in the background. You told me this was a relatively new affectation. So talk to me about some of this stuff. We're going to get off of the, the business thing for a couple of seconds. I see, I see Deadpool, you know. Yeah, let's see if I can, uh, there's, there's Thanos, there's, there's Deadpool, you got uh, Iron Man. I just, awesome. I, I, I collect a lot of these guys and I never really grew up, um, I never really grew up reading comics or anything like oh, that. I thought you were gonna leave it there. I thought you were just gonna say, I never really grew up. <laughs> I didn't, I, I guess that's how it is. No, I, I, I never really grew up doing that, but, but I guess 10 years ago, whenever Marvel started over, I enjoyed um, the movies. And so right. really, it, it started from that. Um, our, our founder, Dr. Chris Villanueva, he also did as well. And so he, um, our, our logo is the MB2 canal, I guess, right? So MB1, MB2, it's the MB2 canal, and it's Iron Man colors. And we have something called Jarvis, which is another nerdy term. And Penny. Um, it's kind of like their brain for our offices, right. where it pulls information out of either Dentrix, EagleSoft, Open Dental, your own practice management software. It'll pull it out in real time, and it kind of compensates it against all the other offices to kind of show you how you're performing or how um, there's, area, if there's areas of improvement. And we have right. Pepper, which is our, is our centralized database that kind of houses all of our... Yeah, um, yeah I said Penny earlier. I meant Pepper Pots. But it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool, man. 
pretty cool. And I, I, I actually yeah. have been, I have, I have been in the cool room. I got to see Chris's collection um, or Dr. Dr. V's collection. And um, wow. Yeah. He's got some pretty yeah. cool stuff in there. He has a pretty big collection. Yeah. So Gabe, um, I would like you to give me a real quick recap about the DSO model as you run it. As I like to say, DSO 3.0, um, benefits and detriments, okay? Any problems you found in the model. And um, then I want you to end the episode in the way that only Thanos could. Just don't, okay. don't get rid of half of our audience, okay? Because right, there's only two guys. There's only two guys. We have one person listening, right? Yeah. All right. All right. So Sounds good. You? Sounds good. So I'll, I'll kind of tell you about what we look like today as an organization. So whenever we're talking to different doctors, we're looking honestly for the personality. So um, there are other things like metrics and things like that that form valuations, but um, there's the right type of doctor, which is usually they're more humble. They don't feel like they know everything and they just want to be part of something bigger, right? Um, there's always, I, I talked to a doctor once and, and he, he, he started off the conversation by um, saying, what's this funny money that you guys are, are into? And that, that initially um, turned me off and he had a big $2 million practice and I, the, I cut the conversation short and it's just that kind of attitude and personality would not be good in a partnership. Right. If you are interested in, in just selling your practice and being done and getting the best valuation, we're not the right DSO. And we, Will tell you right away that we're not the right DSO. But doctors who say, well, well how, another way to say the same thing is, um, would my equity be worth more in your organization? And I would say, yes, it would be more in our organization. And I'll explain why. And so um, the first thing is, you just gotta be cool. And then you got, and we as a group will buy a majority stake in a practice, which allows doctors to get the additional benefits down the road of a higher valuation. But we typically buy about 60 to 70% of a practice. It has to be able to clear debt. Um, and it's normal market values if you were to sell it to anybody. And then after that, your remaining equity, so the remaining amount of uh, equity, let's just say you have 40% left over. Um, here, every three to five years, you can sell half of that for that much, much higher valuation, that 300 to 350% of revenue kind of valuation. Um, because we, where most DSOs, they'll buy you at a certain value and sell for higher. Private equity and businessmen always take that advantage. Mm. We did that the first time with 85 doctors, where all the doctors were able to make the money instead. So we have that as a carry forward, where now every doctor who joins us, everything you build with us, whether it's your own practice or additional practices, you're able to then sell for a much higher valuation. Right. And so that's part of whenever we look at a group or a practice, we will explain all that and show what that looks like with us as an organization. And doctors still have remaining equity left over, which they will still be able to call the shots, even though it's a minority. They could still run and work however they want to. But at some point in time, they can sell to another dentist, to an associate, to whoever it is. It's still equity that can be sold as long as we believe every single practice needs a doctor locally that cares about their practice. Right. And another thing we have where it's just when we built MB2, we didn't look at any other DSOs and say and try to emulate. We said internally, well, what what makes sense? Right. What what is the best thing for our dentist? So another thing that we do is um, we have where doctors can co-invest in each other. And so I 
I love it. Sidecar. Yeah, it was every, call it two to three times a year, we allow doctors to put money in a pot. We use that to buy 5% of every practice on the MB2 dental side. And it allows us to, whenever you're partnering with MB2, you're partnering with 120 dentists who have a, who are aligned with you. So if you do well, they do well. If you don't do well, they don't do well. And so it allows us all to, uh, to continue investing in each other because that's our, that's our beginnings, right? That's how we started, investing in, in each other. It's what unites us. Um, we, have, we take some pretty cool vacations two or three times a year, completely paid for by uh, our vendors, by different vendors that we use, labs and whatever it is, we put it in a bucket and we use it. To, uh, to, it's 100% expensed. Um, or it's 100% paid for vacations. We just went to Lake Tahoe last year. This year's Cabo. There's no CE. Nice. It's just having dinner with the guys that you're investing with and the guys that you're partnering with. And so we try to find, it's going to evolve, it's going to change, but we try to find what the different doctors bring to the table and what they want from the organization. It is our company, and by our, I mean all right now 120 doctors, and we can control how we want to run things and how we do things. And the business guys, um, we, they, we've hired them and they work for us as doctors, as owners. So that's how we see our organization. That's how we see our, our growth potential. That's how we see um, kind of what we're looking for in the partners. Um, right. that, that about sums up kind of what we're doing today. All right. So if, um, if you wouldn't mind, tell me really briefly um, what you're looking for in doctor partners. You've already said they have to have the right attitude. Um, they've got to be able to really mesh with the other personalities at ME2. Talk to us about the practice and the owner. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, there's not much more than that. Um, we, we always say um, there's no other really metrics. And over time, we've realized, well, there are metrics. And it's kind of about a million dollars revenue is where whenever we go through the math and through the numbers and we break it down, if it's less than that, it's difficult for the doctor partner for it to make sense financially. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, that's kind of become almost the first step of, is this a go or no go? Um, and if it's not, I mean, how can, how can we help or how can you get there? Because we look for successful practices, successful doctors. We look for people that are, are good without us, right? We're not going in there and saying, oh, look at all this value add where we can go in and, and run things more effectively or efficiently and we can do all these things. We don't, we don't do that. MB2 Dental is there to help you, to free up your time, um, but, and accelerate your own growth. Yeah, doc, Dr. V, I think, said it. It, it, it was just such a no-brainer whenever he told me this. Because I asked him about that. And I said, so, so how does this work? And he said, well, we look for practices that are successful. I said, so what do you do when to get in there? What do you change? He said, Chris, why would we change anything? You already have a practice that's successful. And it just hit me. I was like, yeah, why would you change anything? It's not throwing levers anymore. It's just turning dials. Yeah. Just turning dials. So anyway, I, uh, I think this was a, a pretty good first step. And, yeah. um, you're, you're my second interview on this, this new mini series. So All thank right. you for giving us your time. Uh, I appreciate that. Are you, are you ready to, to end the episode? Um, all right, here we go. I mean, this is weird, but. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast. 
your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.